Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well, and I'm so glad that you guys are in the house today. Those of you who are here in the house, thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, really glad that those, for those of you who are joining us online, thank you as well for being a part and joining in. Today, if you have your Bibles or your apps, you can turn to Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13, as we continue in our series called Unfit. Um, I, I sometimes regret naming that this time of year because we're not talking about fitness, That's very clear and obvious. But anyway, we are talking about how Moses seemed, from the world's perspective, unfit to be used by God. He was probably the least likely person to be used by God to do what God was going to do. And today, we uh, kind of pick things up with Moses leading the people of Israel from the point of the Red Sea out into the desert. So today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. I don't know about you, how many of you have ever been on a, on a vacation, all right, and maybe you're here on vacation, uh, uh, from Canada, all right, see, I switched it up on you there, didn't I, all right, so anyway, because uh, this is the time of the year, those of you from Canada are here, and so we're glad to have you and the Ohioans, anyway, uh, so we're glad, <laughs> so how many of you have ever been on a vacation and you got lost while you were on vacation, raise your hands, raise your hands, keep them up for a second. All right, I want, I want, just full disclosure, right? Okay, so I want you to notice that most everybody who has their hands raised, um, they're in the generations that are my generation and up, okay? And there's a good reason for that, right? You can put your hands down, all right? So thank you for, like, making me feel better because I've been lost on vacation too. But there's a good reason for that because in our generation, right, we didn't have ways, we didn't have maps, we didn't have directions, we didn't have somebody telling us every single turn to take. It's so much easier now, right? It's so much easier now. We had maps and we had to pull over on the side of a road on I-16 in the middle of Georgia or in downtown Atlanta, or as my dad did in Boston. I can remember three times that um, we were in trouble on different trips growing up, right? And um, one of them was in Colorado, um, but that, we didn't get lost in Colorado because my grandfather had everything planned and he was, he was a banker. So it was like down to the nth degree, it was planned perfectly. My dad and I are a lot alike. We're like, uh, New York? Boston, let's just drive north on 95, we'll figure it out, all right? So in the day before the internet and the day before any kind of uh, helps on that. And I remember being in downtown Boston and I remember seeing the sign for the road he's looking for. And you know that feeling you get when you're on vacation or maybe you're on a road trip and maybe it's either you and your spouse or maybe it's your mom and dad and things like have been really great and everybody's getting along and all of a sudden like something happens and the tension just ratchets up just a little bit, just kind of jumps up just a little bit, and then like you miss one turn, and the the tension ratchets up a little bit more, and then all of a sudden it's 1.30, and you'd been promised lunch at noon, and the tension builds and builds and builds, and I remember my mom and dad in the front seat, and anytime I knew that there was something going on, it was because my mom was silent, and I remember my mom being really, really quiet. Any of you have mamas like that? They're really quiet. You're like, I need to hear you talking or else I think you're upset, right? So anyway, mom got really quiet and my dad was sitting there and you could tell his, his knuckles were getting redder and redder and his face was getting redder because he was lost. 
He was completely lost. And I remember seeing the sign. And as a kid, I was like, Dad, it's right there. And he said something to me, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go there again. All right, cool. That's fine. That's good. That's good. So we continued to take turn after turn after turn. The good thing is, is I think we saw Boston College, Boston University. We saw Faneuil Hall, and I think we even saw Harvard at some point in time. So we got a great tour because we were lost. It was awesome. But I got to tell you that we can be lost in our lives, and we can be without direction in our lives. And sometimes what that does is it causes us to be despondent. It might be a career that you thought was going to be a straight arrow, and it's been a winding road. And there have even been some long pauses on the winding road. There have even been some disastrous situations. Maybe it's a business that you started, and you thought, there's no way this can fail. Oh, man. Those are dangerous words, aren't they? There's no way this can fail. Maybe it's your spiritual journey. Maybe it's your family that you thought would just, you had this expectation and these goals and you had an outcome that you had in your mind of what you thought it would be and it has not been. And you find yourself in the desert. You find yourself wandering around and lost. And today we pick up Moses and the nation of Israel at the point where they've crossed the Red Sea, they've come out of bondage, they've come out of slavery, and they're on their way to the promised land. You got to remember that the nation of Israel, the real promised land, was to come later on down the road. But they didn't know that at the time. At the time they had crossed the Red Sea, at the time they were on the other side, I'm sure that they were thinking, by the way, about two million of them, I'm sure that they were thinking, oh my goodness, this is great. We've come out of slavery. We've come out of that entrapment. We've come out of those harsh conditions. And the promised land has got to be right there. Right? Just like on vacation, when you're in the back seat going, Dad, how much further? How much further? How much further? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Little did they know that there would be 40 more years. After 400 years of being in captivity, there would be 40 more years. And today as we tie in or as we dive into Exodus chapter 13 and 14, just by way of a quick review, we've so far covered how Moses was born into a time and a place and into conditions that wouldn't suit him to be a great leader. In week two, we discovered how, and by the way, he made a decision that definitely wouldn't, might have even precluded him from being the leader. In week two, we learned how Moses led the two and a half million people out of captivity, even though he wasn't personally gifted to do it. He couldn't speak very well. He, he, he had certain things and abilities that lent itself against the grain of leading God's people out of captivity. And last week, we talked about the circumstances around the nation of Israel and around Moses where we can see a, great, a couple great leadership principles that God uses the leader who listens to him, who obeys him, and stands firm. And today we come to this point in time where we see a whole nation of people out in the desert, in the Sinai, and they start wandering around. But I think sometimes, just like the nation of Israel, just like you and just like me, sometimes when we're wandering we may not realize it in the moment, 
But perhaps the wandering, perhaps the desert, perhaps that winding road, rather than the straight line from point A to point B, the, the line from your dreams to the expectations is not really exactly what you thought it would be. Sometimes it's actually God behind the scenes at work. I want you to pray with me before we dive into God's word here this morning. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus for those who've come into this place, into this house to worship you. Maybe they were dragged here or maybe they just found their way here somehow, some way. Those who are online watching. Father, I pray for those who have been wandering, who may be in the desert, who may have been in the desert. And Father God, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray right now that you would help bring purpose to whether it was past wandering, whether it was uh, going on right now, or whether they're about ready to enter a season where they feel absolutely lost and in the desert. Whatever it is in their life, job, relationship, security, finances, school, education, whatever that is, right now, Holy Spirit, would you lead us and would you guide us? May I step out of the way so that you can do the work that you want to do in the hearts and the lives of the people who are gathered here and online. In Jesus' name. I pray. Amen. Amen. So the nation of Israel has exited, and, and it's really interesting because when they come out of the Red Sea, and of course you may know this story even if you haven't been with us these past few weeks, because you probably have seen the movie and you've probably seen clips and cartoons and maybe read about it, uh, you will see that the nation of Israel crosses the Red Sea on dry land. God performs this amazing miracle, and it was an amazing miracle that they were able to cross the Red Sea on dry land. And so they cross the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, they begin to take this journey, roughly three million people, two and a half to three million people, and they didn't realize it was going to be 40 years long, but God had a different plan. Now, 400 years earlier, as Jacob and his sons come into Egypt, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, as they come into Egypt, they come in roughly about 75 people 400 years earlier. And God took them on a route that was almost directly from where they came from the north, directly down south, right into Egypt, to Goshen, which was the land that God had set aside for the nation of Israel while they were in Egypt. And it was better land, and it had better produce and that sort of thing. And so it's so interesting to me that as the nation of Israel now, 400 years later, a little bit larger in size, they leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and God leads them on this route over the same area that is definitely not a straight line. I mean, it should have been easy. They should have just retraced the steps of Joseph and their ancestors, right? Their forefathers. But God was leading them in the Bible actually says over and over, as we're going to see, that God was the one that was leading them in this way. And I wonder, why? Why would God lead them in this route? Why would he lead them in this place of wandering and in the desert when they could have just gone on that straight line right back, just retraced the steps of their forefathers? And today I want to bring out two points that I think we can learn about God and three things that we can learn about us when we're wandering and when we're in the desert. First and foremost, I believe that we can learn a little bit about God in terms of him 
knowing what's best for us when we wander. Check this out, Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18, just right at the end there of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. There was a reason that God understood that the nation of Israel couldn't go on that direct route back, kind of retrace the steps. His fear was that they would see the Philistines and see war, and they would decide to go back to Egypt. That's going to come up later in this message. It's going to come up later in the passage. But God led the people. Now, I want you to capture this. Please don't miss this. God led the people. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Wait a minute. They just come out of the Red Sea, right? Does God not understand his own geography here? Why is he taking them back, right? But they're beginning to wander. He's leading them back and forth. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, and they were equipped for battle. There's another little kind of hint there that they might have had some fear about the people that they might have encountered. And I think in the back of their minds, when they were equipped for battle, they were ready to fight. They had in their minds that this might be a very difficult journey, which would have been normal and natural and understandable, because there were Philistines. They did have a lot of enemies. But I think in the back of their minds, they had not burned the ships on Egypt yet. Listen, I want you to hear, church, I want you to hear, Christ follower, that there are things about your life that, don't seem, that doesn't seem to make sense in the past, or perhaps right now, or perhaps in the future, that God is leading you in this circuitous route because he knows best. He knows best. He knows what to do. We may not understand it. We may not understand why that career suddenly ended. We may not understand why in the world that educational thing that you had so desired or maybe the family that you thought that you would have, God didn't allow you to have as many kids or any kids at all. Or maybe he, he ended a, a financial goal for you that just you thought would never, ever happen. And I just want you to be reminded that God knows best. We may not understand that, but he knows best. When I was growing up, I, I grew up in Atlanta. We bounced back and forth between Florida and Atlanta. But in eighth grade, I finally ended up in Atlanta. And at the time, by the way, title town this year. So anyway, uh, at the time, go dogs, go Braves. At the time, <laughs> one like that when I was there. Uh, at the time, Atlanta was about two and a half to three million people. I think it's about doubled in size or more since then. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. How, how many of you have ever been to Atlanta or driven through? Raise your hand, all right? Yeah, okay. All of us, right? I mean, they say, like, you know, when you die and you're going to heaven, you have to stop through Hartsfield on the way, right? So anyway, that's not in the Bible, by the way. I just want you to know that's just a joke. Um, the city of Atlanta, that size in the 1980s, the size of the city in Atlanta was the size of the Jewish people. They had health concerns. 
They had logistics to think about. We talked about last week, they had to bring all their animals with them. I mean, it wasn't just the luggage. It was, you're bringing the dog and the cat and the livestock. They had so many things. They had to find food. They had to find shelter. They had to find clothing. The task of moving such a huge group of people must have been monumental. And God led them, it says in Exodus 13. He led them around in this route. Why would God have done that? Look at your notes this morning. Something we can learn about God. God may lead us the long way home to shape our future, excuse me, to shape our character and to equip us for the future. God may be leading you right now on the long way home from a very painful experience because he knows that there's a little more refinement than, that you need. It's going to build your character. It's going to shape you for the future. We may not understand that, and our route may be, in our minds, a straight line from point A to point B, but that straight line wouldn't equip us for the future in the way that we need, and God knows best. He knows best. I've told the story before, and I won't retell all the details of it, but... But I remember when I was 16 years old, God was doing amazing things in my life. And I remember the, the, the time, the environment where I was, where God called me into full-time Christian ministry. And I was very quickly discouraged from doing that in a variety of different ways and for a variety of different reasons. And, and I did not answer that call. For 10 years, I didn't answer that call. And I sold, <laughs> I worked for a company um, reviewing legal briefs because I had a pre-law degree. I mean, give me a break. I couldn't do that right now. I, I, couldn't, I didn't do it well then. Uh, anyway, I sold telephone systems. Another thing I didn't do very well then, all right? So I sold telephone systems, and then God began to open up some doors. And I mean, when I'm talking about telephone systems, you know the annoying people that knock on the door like this is in a day gone by? I went door to door in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Atlanta, Georgia, uh, to businesses selling telephone systems. I, I was not good at it at all. I mean, that is hard work. If you've ever had to sell something like that door to door, it's a different day and age now, I understand, but my goodness, it was awful, awful. But that was the best thing for me. There were times, I remember one time I came home and, and I hadn't made any sales and you had to have a draw. Any of you in sales are familiar with the draw? If you cover your draw, they basically pay you in advance and you have to cover it. It's like super risky, but it gives you money, but you gotta make sure you sell and that's what they want, right? So anyway, so I was on this draw and there were a few months I, I, I wasn't there yet. Finally got there and did well a few months later, but there was a, there was a weekend we went home and we were looking under the couch and under car seats for change. Many of you have been there, and I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? He was using that to develop my character. He was using that to give me thicker skin. He was using that in so many different ways. He knew that I needed refinement, and maybe for you, you're on this route, and you're wondering, why, God, why would you be doing this this way? Maybe there's still a little bit more for him 
to do because God knows best. He knows best. Second thing, what can we learn about God from wandering? Exodus 14, first verse to the fourth verse. Check this out. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel, I'm going to give you a forewarning. I've got one of these places that I have a hard time with uh, saying. My pastor back in Atlanta couldn't say Deuteronomy correctly all of his life. I loved it. We had so much fun with that. Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of uh, Pi-Heharoth. I didn't didn't get it. Anyway, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh, check this out, verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. Yeah, they might have crossed over the Red Sea, but now they're in trouble. They can't figure their way out. They're lost. We say that all the time in Hilton Head, those of us who are locals, right? We see a car going in one of the circles, and you see it two or three times. You're like, yep, they're lost. They're lost. We're such a helpful group of people. Anyway. They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And God says this, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh. God will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his whole crew. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The Bible says, and they did so. The arch enemy, essentially, at this moment in time of the nation of Israel, God says, I want them to see my glory. (laughs) And the real, like, flesh part of us, the real, like, you know, part of us that kind of wants to get revenge, we we might say, "I I don't care about my enemies knowing the Lord. But you know what God does? And so God may lead us, this is the second point about a God, essentially, that we can learn in the wilderness. God may lead us on the long way home so that our story reflects God's goodness and his power. And for some of you, if that's like, wait a minute, how's that possible? I want you to reflect on your life. And I want you to see where there may be ways that God has used circumstances in your life to take you on that, you know, that, that route home that wasn't that straight line. Boy, it showed his glory. He did a small but mighty thing in your life that led you to the other side. See, I think sometimes we don't see those things because we're not looking, Right? talked about not listening last week. Sometimes we're not, lo- we're not looking. And we also have this me lens. Mm. We look at our lives and we go, man, that wandering hurt me. That wandering was, that, that painful experience was, was hard on me. That, that time that things didn't go right, that time that I, I didn't get that promotion and it led to me like quitting my company, that, that time when that relationship completely fell apart and I was in love. And she or he just left. See, we're looking through the lens of me. It's all about us, right? 
And certainly God has our best in mind. But I want you to hear this, Christ follower. He is going to, if you're a Christian in here, if you're a Christian online, if you've trusted in Jesus to be your Savior, he will use your life to bring him glory. He'll use your pain. He'll use your victories. He'll use your losses. And he's even going to use the wandering to bring him glory. So the nation of Israel is wandering. But then all of a sudden, the nation of Israel begins to complain. Uh, Many years ago, I think it was back in 2010, um, Jeff Cranston, who's my spiritual dad that I talk a lot about, that's uh, the pastor at Low Country Community Church that started us, he invited me to go to England. And it was my first time in the UK, and, and it was, went subsequently um, one other time after, after that. Uh, and, and I loved being over in England. I loved the UK, right? And I, I ended up having family over there that I got to meet, and like I could like totally see um, like you know where I came from, and I could see how we got this Irish Scottish temper that I have sometimes, like all the good and the bad stuff of my growing up and my history and that sort of thing. But um, one of the things I learned is is that. Our English and their English, it is not the same language. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that, right? Sean and I watch soccer on Saturday mornings. We love the Premier League. We're huge Liverpool fans. We watched yesterday. We were watching all day. And, um, man, there was this one guy on there who was Scottish, like my grandfather, who was born in Scotland. And, and it just brought back so many memories because we used to go over to my grandfather's house, and he had a thick Scottish brogue. I couldn't understand the man. I mean, I could not understand him at all. And I remember, like, when we were in London, I could understand some of the people in London. But when we went up to the northwest um, part of, of England, I, I, there were times I couldn't understand them. And there were times they would use words like a car park instead of a parking lot, a lift instead of an elevator. But there was one word that I kept hearing over and over and over again, and it's this word, whinging. <laughs> Have you ever heard the word whinging? Or as they said it in the northwest, up in the northwest, whinging. Ever heard that word? It's a, it's a harsh complaint. And we don't use it here in the U.S. They use it all the time over there. Or maybe I was just complaining a lot, and they were like, stop you whinging, right? I mean, it's possible that that's what they were doing. My apologies for the accent. Okay, so <laughs> the nation of Israel began this process when they were in the desert, when they were wandering, when they were going through this whole you know, difficulty after, after being freed from slavery, they began to really, really whinge a lot. They were whinging big time. And I think Moses was getting a little bit tired of it. I think God was getting a little bit tired of it. Two and a half million people who had just come, I remind you, out of slavery began to look at their circumstances and they began to complain about their circumstances. Exodus 14, 10 through 14, when Pharaoh drew near the people of Israel, they lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Understandable, isn't it? It is. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
They're automatically assuming that on this route, they're going to die. How many of you have been in those, those moments where life has not gone the way you wanted it to go, and you're like, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've been there. I've been there. Like, I'm already, I'm already digging the grave on my career. I'm already digging the grave on my educational pursuits. I'm already digging the grave on my marriage and my finances and, and my community and my, my family. I'm already digging the grave. Why did God leave us out here essentially to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? There's the blame game, man. This is so characteristic of us humans, isn't it? Looking at Moses going, what have you done? What have you done? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians Moses is like, what? What? Are you serious? Are you serious? Do you, do you remember what was going on back there? I don't think so. Is it not what you said? Leave us alone so we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Man, this is, this is what we do, isn't it? This is absolutely what we do. I mean, your dad's got the car packed. Everything is perfect. He's got the, your mom's got the meals already planned. Everything is perfect. And you're on vacation. You're an hour in going, I don't want to be here. And we start pointing fingers and blaming others. And Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you, what's that next word? Today. It's a repeat of something we said last week. You shall never see again. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be what? Silent. See, sometimes when we're in the desert, when we're wandering, when we don't understand what's going on in our life, we start blaming other people. We start complaining and whinging so much that we think that the past would be better, even if the past wasn't. <laughs> we think we want to go back to Egypt. We think that was better. The grass is always greener on the other side. And here's the point. In the face of our greatest challenges, we must, we must, church, here's our part. God is doing his part. We've got to do our part. We've got to exchange a complaining spirit for total trust in God. That's what Moses is challenging them with. The Lord will fight for you. I want you to hear that right now. I want you to hear that right now. If you're at home or here, the Lord will fight for you. He will fight for you. And there are times and there are situations that you'll get discouraged. I understand. He understands that. I understand that. I've been there. But he will fight for you. He will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. You have only to be silent. Sometimes there's a time in our lives where we just need to be quiet and allow God to do the work that he wants to do. And that leads me to the second point that we can learn about ourselves, and it's from Exodus 14, and it's actually just the opposite of that. Exodus 14, 14 through 15, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Then... Once that happened, the Lord said to Moses, why 
do you cry to me? Why do you cry to me? Every parent in the room has said that at some point in time. Why are you crying? Why are you complaining? Why are you whinging? I gave you a new word today, some of you, all right? Tell the people of Israel to, what are those next two words? Go forward. Go forward. Second thing, we can learn about ourselves when we're in the desert, when we're wandering. In the face of our greatest challenges, we must exchange an inactive response for immediate action when God gives direction. Some of you need to hang out in that first point. I've been there. We just need to be silent. We just need to let God. Some of you have been silent, and God has spoken. I want you to hear this, and it's time to move forward. It's time to act. It's time for you to move forward, having already seen God at work. And it's time to move forward, trusting him, standing firm, knowing that he will deliver. And there's something that's on your mind right now that God has told you, and it's time for action. You can't have the second without the first. But at some point in time, it's time for us to move forward. It's time for us to take action. And then lastly today, our response to being in the desert not only is there time to be silent, not only is there time that we need to take action if God is telling us to do that thing, but check this out, verses 26 through 31. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the seas that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots, we talked a little bit about this last week, and on their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and it returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. And all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. And the whole nation cheered for victory, right? <laughs> no, not quite, but that's what we would have done, right? The Patriots are finally not the Super Bowl champs. All right, sorry, that was for a few of you, okay. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel. He saved Israel. He saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians, they saw them dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptian, so the people feared God. Listen, when we go through the process of being silent and allowing God to do his work, and then when we go do the process, go to the process of being active with what God has told us, all of a sudden, the fears that we had on doing that thing that God said, all of a sudden, we're not afraid of the, that thing anymore. We have a fear, a healthy fear of God. This isn't being afraid of God, but our fear shifts from the circumstances around us to a healthy respect that God is in charge and that we can follow him. And I'm talking to myself today too because so many times fear causes me to be inactive on the things that God wants me to do. I'm admitting it to you today. And I know I'm not alone. See, in the face of our greatest challenge, I've missed a whole part. Let me go back to verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, 
So the people feared the Lord and, this is the part I missed, and they believed in the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. You remember when God wanted to show his glory? This is, this is, where, this is where it's happening. Even the enemies began to see who God is and believe because the nation of Israel walked in obedience. This last point, in the face of our greatest challenge, we must exchange a skeptical heart for a grateful response when God's plan is revealed. It's hard for us to be grateful, isn't it? I just want to stop for a second. It's hard for us to be grateful, isn't it? hard for us to be grateful. As soon as we receive that thing that we think that God has given us, we're on to the next, aren't we? We used to tell our kids when they were younger, you get what you get and don't get upset. <laughs> like we're just like children sometimes. We get the thing that we so desired, freedom from Slavery. We get wandering because God is leading us and he knows what's best. All of a sudden, we want that next thing, and we want that next thing, and God provides. And then we just want the next thing, and we miss gratitude. There is nothing. There is nothing. Listen, I want you to hear this. This is just practical from, from my life experience, and I don't know about yours, but there is nothing that resets my attitude and our attitude, I believe, as Christ followers, there's nothing that resets that better than being grateful for what God has provided. When I'm going down that path of starting to whinge and to whine and to complain, if I stop and I start making a list of the things that I'm grateful for, all of a sudden I get into a whole different space. Are you with me, Christ follower? We need to be grateful for the things that God has given us. The nation of Israel was taken out of a horrible situation. There they are wandering, but God was leading. How about you? You feel like something in your life is just kind of going around and around in circles? 40 years, a whole lifetime. That's what they did out in the desert. But God was leading them the whole time. He was providing for them the whole time. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. And sometimes our ability to trust God and to stand firm and to just be silent and to listen and see his works. And, and sometimes those things have to be reset by our attitude. Philippians all the way fast forward now to the Apostle Paul. He's writing this letter to the church in Philippi. And he says this, and this is how we'll end today. <laughs> says church Christ follower Todd do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world We've had a lot of reason over the past two years to be whinging, haven't we? We have. The world has. But God knows best. Somehow, some way, he is going to bring glory to himself 
But here's the thing, church. I think we're a part of that. We play a role in that. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's right here. Do all things. All? Yeah, all. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Really have to go to my neighbor to check in on them? I don't love that neighbor. <laughs> they don't keep their yard up very good. Their trash ends up on in my lawn. When they get the blower out, they blow their leaves on my lawn. Do I really need to go to that family member today? Like God has asked me to do time and time again and reconcile. I've had to do that before. Do I need to go to that person and ask for forgiveness? I've had to do that a lot. What is God calling you to do today without grumbling and without complaining and without disputing? Today is a, is a new day. So what? In the past, you've been whinging, you've been whining, you've been complaining. God doesn't care about the past. He cares about today. What are you going to do today, today, today to be a person, to be a people, church, who understands and trusts and knows that God is leading? And our response to that is to be grateful. It's to be grateful. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing story, but it's not just a story. It's, it's what really happened to your people. And Father, I thank you for the example, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. And today, as we kind of switched gears and talked a little bit less about Moses and a little bit more about the whole nation, oh, they had a lot of reason to complain. Part of it was they weren't in that headspace to see your goodness. Oh, you're so good. And Father, right now, I pray that you would lead us to that place that we would, uh, we would hear from you. <laughs> that we would taste your goodness. That we would remember what you've done in the past. That we wouldn't quickly forget it. Oh, Father, I'm reminded that even the way that Exodus is written, the whole story in those chapters 10 through about 15 is, is God setting in place these moments when he told them, don't forget, don't forget when you're out of this circumstance, do this. Don't forget what God has done. And Father, so many times I forget. So many times we forget what you've done. Father, I thank you so much that even in our wandering, even in that route of our lives or our careers or our education or our marriage or our relationship or our finances or whatever it is, God, it may seem like you're not in control, but you are. You know best. You know that our character maybe needs to build up a little, be built up a little bit more. You know that we need to have maybe some more refinement before we're ready and equipped for the future. And Father, I pray that we would trust you. God, I pray that we, your people, we would just be quiet and see your glory and see your good works. And that we would take action when it's time to take action. That we would move when you say to move. But God, I pray also that the people around us see our story and may they know you, God. May they know you. 
because of our story. May we not draw attention to ourselves, but God, may we draw attention to you when we look at our lives. God, I pray that, well, I thank you for the wandering. Yeah, I thank you for the wandering. I pray that you would let everybody who's here, let the past be the past, realize what you did on the cross. And Father, I pray that we would walk in that freedom and that grace and that forgiveness. That we'd be grateful. That we would be people who set our minds on the things above and not the things of this earth. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.